Welcome to Wholeness and Holiness Podcast. Here we will deepen your understanding of human and spiritual integration so you can live the life of peace and fulfillment God has for you. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez. I hold a degree in theology and am a licensed professional clinical counselor and certified trauma therapist. Join me weekly for practical applications of the spiritual life. No part of this audio is to be used as mental health treatment or clinical advice. Please see a licensed mental health professional for personal consultation. Hi, and welcome to Wholeness and Holiness Podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez, and just want to remind you that we do human and spiritual integration workshops, healing missions, um, priest retreats, deacon retreats, healing retreats, all kinds of things. So, um, and it, as well as I do intensive trauma therapy, Father David, who often joins me's book is available on Amazon, Evangelizing Catholic Culture, and my books, the one on trauma, more than words, the freedom to thrive after trauma, as well as fearless abundant life through infinite love, all available for you on Amazon. So today I just want to share some thoughts on finding healing for holiness and for healthy relationships. I think this is something that we can all struggle with at, at any given age. And I think a lot of times this, what I find is this ends up impacting people vocationally and can really end up leaving people feeling like they're waiting for life to start, waiting for the Lord to reveal their vocation, or if they feel called to marriage, waiting for um, for a marriage partner or, um, or waiting for acceptance into um, a religious community or, or seminary or, or what have you. And, but what we know is that we all share a common primary foundational vocation to holiness. The catechism of the Catholic church in section 2014 talks about, we have a universal call to holiness. That means all of us. We can't outsource that to the clergy or religious or saints, you know, like put them on a pedestal and somehow they're going to take care of it. They're going to take care of living lives of holiness and, and I can kind of do whatever I want or just try to be nice, you know, in Ephesians one, uh, verse chapter one, verse four, it says, God chose us in him in Jesus, before the world began to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that's been our eternal vocation. From before the world began, we were chosen for holiness. And what does holiness mean? It means relationally, it means that we're set apart for the Lord. All of us were his primarily that means we're called to an espousal union with him in a very personal, intimate way. Each one of us is called to be the Lord's. And what goes along with that is that he gives himself to us, which is just 
so mind-boggling, but yet we know it from the Eucharist, right? He gives himself body, blood, soul, and divinity to us when we receive him in the Eucharist. And marriage prefigures that union. That means it's a sign that kind of point towards it, but it only points towards it. It's not the complete and total union like we're called to with the Lord because he we're called to union with him, body, mind, and spirit. And also marriage is for, for, for our time here in this life, if we're called to marriage, you know, but scripture says in heaven, we're neither married nor given in marriage. And yet that union we're called to with the Lord is eternal. It started before the world began and it goes on for all eternity. And so when you couple this with our human life, that's, that all sounds very spiritual. How does this, what does this have to do with human and spiritual integration? Glad you asked. So connection is actually our most basic human need. And when we experience it, we flourish. And when we don't, we suffer. Even as basic as um, oftentimes premature babies are, are given skin to skin touch, you know, a, a, a caregiver will hold them against their skin upon their shoulder, upon their chest, because even just that physical touch will help the baby's body thrive. So Matthew Lieberman is a neuroscientist. It pre presents from a completely secular perspective as is Stephen Porges, who does the same thing. Now, Matthew Lieberman, you can find his TED Talks up on YouTube if you want to check those out. But he talks about Abraham Maslow. Maslow, for the, for psych students, you'll remember him. He had this pyramid. And he would say at the very bottom of the pyramid, our very most basic need is for food, clothing, and shelter. And yet Matthew Lieberman says Maslow got it wrong. It's actually our most basic need is for human connection because as mammals, we come into the world completely dependent on somebody else taking care of my food, clothing, and shelter. And so to the extent that we have that connection, to that extent that we even survive. And then he also talks about functional MRI studies that they've done that shows that a lack of human connection actually registers in the body as as real as physical pain. So it's not just uh, something we should be able to toughen up or, or get past or overlook. Stephen Porges, the other neuroscientist I mentioned, he also, also talks about connection as being such a fundamental need. And he says that there are three, three main systems of the body that are activated when we interact with, with people. The vagus vagal system is stimulated when we have positive, healthy connection with others. The sympathetic nervous system, as you might remember from science class, that's what's stimulated when we're in the fight or flight mode. And then the dorsal vagal system, he says, is stimulated when we're so overwhelmed that we shut down. Now, so beautiful to recognize is he says, the only other thing that stimulates that vagus vagal system, that really positive experience is ingestion. So when I was listening to, um, to this talk he was giving, I was thinking about, 
you know, of course, in a very natural level, a baby sucking a pacifier or sucking their thumb or taking a bottle or, or nursing or, um, or even when we get stressed out, you know, sometimes, um, unhealthy habit, people might smoke or bite their fingernails or we can, you know, binge eat or things like that, or even, even further down the, um, unhealthy route would be, um, you know, people getting drunk, people drinking to excess and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, then it hit me like, wow, of all the ways the Lord chose to remain with us. And he's eternally, infinitely creative. He chose to remain with us in a way where we would ingest him in the blessed sacrament. And I thought how beautiful it is that even though most of us don't even know that, and I didn't know that until I was in my fifties, even though we don't know that, like he's still doing that. So what is he doing? He's even on a physiological level, wiring us for connection with himself. It's so beautiful. And I think in a lot of ways, it really speaks to um, the truth of his real presence in the blessed sacrament. None of that would make sense if, if the Eucharist was just a symbol. So what comprises connection? Well, as I've seen in therapy, the pillars of connection are that we need to be chosen. So directly and intentionally related to known, could be seen and heard as an individual who's very good, valued, meaning that we have inherent dignity as children of God. We don't have to earn value somehow based on looks, money, status, performance, productivity, popularity, whatever arbitrary metric you can replace that, that attempt to earn value with. And then boundaries. There needs to be, I need to be able to pr protect and provide for myself without another person crossing into interfering with that in some way that makes me not feel safe. So this connection is most obviously just super abundantly supplied for us by the Lord. He's infinite and, and we're finite. And yet we know that he has chosen us again before the world began for what to, you know, to, to be slaves. No, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he knows us more intimately than we could we could ever possibly imagine or hope to know ourselves or to know each other. He values us completely to the pouring out of himself on the cross, emptying himself, um, taking on our humanity, and then being a sign of contradiction and all of the suffering he went through for us, even to the point of being betrayed and denied and, and scourged and, and crucified. And then continues to pour himself out for us in his resurrected life through life of grace and mercy and an infinite love. And then what does he do as far as boundaries go? Well, he's the lawmaker. He sets boundaries for us that, that protect and provide for us. This can become tricky for us if we feel like we're not being protected and provided for in this life. And yet we know eternal life exists. And so we think about examples like St. Stephen, who, when he was being martyred, he was being stoned to death. And they say his face was like that of an angel. 
So the Lord's ability to protect and provide for us goes so far beyond this life and beyond what we could ever imagine. I mean, it's, it's infinite, it's complete, it's total. He's completely for us. And so who can be against us, as St. Paul says? So we're made for the infinite. You know, but sometimes they heard people talk about we have a God-shaped hole inside us. Well, it's not just a God-shaped hole. It's a God-sized hole inside us. We're made for him. St. Augustine said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So these things are super abundantly provided for us by the Lord. Why do we sometimes still feel empty or even needy? Well, we end up getting wounded in these different areas by either a lack of teaching or um, or by how um, painful ways that that parents or early caregivers have related to us or even peers later on in life. That's, for example, offenses against being chosen would be that that we've not felt chosen, we've felt abandoned or rejected or disregarded or overlooked or or um, somebody else was preferred to me or or we haven't felt known we've we've felt just completely ignored and overlooked or or somebody we felt like somebody knew us and then used what they knew against us which would be betrayal and that's a very deep and and painful wound and then also sometimes we've experienced being devalued or demeaned or diminished or or feeling like even feeling like our value is contingent on on something outside of who we really are but instead on on some arbitrary thing that that really isn't essential to who we are like like looks or money or popularity or or being a great student or being a great athlete and those things, even though we can look at people who have successes like that and think like, wow, I wish I experienced that, that success or, or that benefit. And yet at the same time, what I've, what I've seen in people in therapy is that it can be even more insidious than when we don't experience those things. If we're not particularly good looking or, or rich or famous, because people who have those things can, can tend unfortunately to come to to see that those things are what their value is about and yet it's not true it's really not true they have inherent value even if all of those things were taken away they're purchased by the precious blood of jesus each one of us was so we all have the same value so you know what you can do is like really think about somebody who you think is really valuable you know this person is really important and the absolute 100% truth is you are every bit as important because you have the same value to god so how we're related to we're related to in very painful ways in these areas then these these ways we're related to for good or for bad it can become how we learn to relate to ourselves. You know, if I'm related to in a way that tells me I'm lovable, then my self-talk becomes one of compassion. And then that naturally flows out 
into how I relate to others, or at least it puts me on a solid foundation to be able to, to give that to others. But we, you know, as the maxim goes, we can't give what we don't have. And so we really need to, to have these things imaged for us to have experienced these things for them to become bedrock of how we relate to ourselves. So that then as, as the Lord says in scripture, we can love our neighbor as ourself. When we don't relate to ourselves in these ways, we can end up sadly looking to others in a very, um, in a, a very concrete way. The people who are, who are in my life, who are right in front of me, I can end up um, kind of like super focusing on them to fill these needs because not being connected to myself, I end up feeling not connected to the Lord because as St. Catherine of Genoa says, my deepest me is God. So, you know, it's like, if I'm not relating to myself, if I don't see myself, experience myself as someone who's lovable, then I can go sit in the most profound talks or, or listen to the greatest homilies or teachings or whatever on God's love. And I'll feel like these things apply to somebody else and not to me. Or if you only knew who I am, or if you'd only know, knew what I had done, then you would know that, that these things aren't true for me. And so we end up super focusing on the people in front of us to make us feel chosen and known and valued and, and to respect our boundaries because we're not receiving those things first and foremost from the Lord. We're not relating to ourselves in that way. And yet those needs don't go away. And so we focus them, unfortunately, on the people in front of us who, who I believe are quite frequently doing the same thing if they've experienced real woundedness and brokenness in their lives. And we see this in our world so many times, people jumping to being offended about the least little thing or jumping to rage about um, the most really kind of neutral thing. And that can, can really be an intense setup for disappointment and frustration and conflict. However, when these things are filled by the Lord first, then we can live lives of deep grace. I know I've shared it before, but it's worth saying again here, you know, when you read the book, Story of a Soul, the um, autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux, who had parents who were canonized saints, Louis and Zelie Martin, and then um, had older sisters who all of these folks in her life really by her own report really treated her in a way where she knew she was chosen and known and valued and protected and provided for Now, and this is even despite the fact that Therese went through a lot of suffering in her life and a lot of even traumas when, when, um, throughout, I was going to say when she was young, but she was always young because she died young. So, um, but you know, her, her mother wasn't able, able to nurse her. So even as a small baby, she was given to another woman to, to take care of her like that. And then her mom died when she was, I believe it was four, either four or five years old, I believe four. And, um, and then her own sickness that she went through and then her father's sickness. And, and yet what we see is then when she was in the convent and there were sisters who were treating her in a way that, that wasn't charitable or was even very, um, very frustrating or 
or breed conflict, but Therese did not respond in that way. She was able to respond in a, in a truly saintly way because she was starting with these things being full. So she was starting with her needle on full instead of on empty and looking for her tank to get filled up from, from the sisters in the convent. There's a Dr. Vincent Folletti, who's really renowned doctor for having done the adverse childhood experiences study with Kaiser Permanente. And I love this quote. I heard him um, say in a talk many years ago, and he said, you can never get enough of what almost works. And so that's what happens again, you know, we're made for the infinite and, and, um, and the, only the Lord is infinite. Only the Lord can satisfy these needs. No person can ever be enough. And that's quite frankly, why so many marriages, sadly, just as, um, just as much Catholic marriages as, as non-Catholic or even just, um, just people of no faith um, tend to fail. We really have to start from a place of self-compassion. If we've gone through, particularly if we've gone through woundedness and brokenness and from parents and early caregivers, we really have to make a conscious, intentional effort even if it doesn't feel natural because it, it doesn't line up with the messages, the sad and broken messages we got sent, but we really have to take on the mind of Christ towards ourselves and take every thought captive to Christ. If I have a thought that says I'm not good enough, or I'm not adequate, or I don't have as much value as another person or, or whatever the case might be, I have to really take those thoughts captive to Christ and take on his mind towards me in terms of his infinite love for me and his infinite value for me. And only then are those kind of like those holes in the love bucket of my heart, like plugged. So as the Lord is emptying himself into me, I can really receive him and his love. Otherwise it becomes like pouring Niagara Falls into a colander. And at the end of the day, I still feel empty and I'm going to go try to suck these things out of the people in my life. So whether we're called to remain single or to vocations as religious, clergy, or, or married people, we're called to intimacy with the Lord first and foremost, foundationally, from before the world began and for all eternity. And only living that primary vocation that we all share Will we have the peace, joy, and freedom the Lord's made our hearts to long for? Because he's the satisfaction of those things. When we long for those things, it's actually for him that we're longing. As Psalm 63 says, oh God, you are my God. For you, I long. For you, my soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. Only in and through union with him, can we even have ourselves to share with others through self-gift of celibacy or through marital intimacy? Otherwise, our relationships can quickly become self-seeking instead of self-giving. So what can we do about all of this? So if, if we've experienced these areas of brokenness and hurt and woundedness, then let's really take those wounds 
go and sit before the Lord, just really encourage you to take them to him. You know, adoration is available in a lot of churches, or even if the blessed sacrament's not exposed, we know the Lord is truly present in a very special way. He's everywhere. He's in your heart as a, as a baptized Christian, you have the indwelling presence of the blessed Trinity, of course, but particularly there's something about being with the Eucharist and knowing that he's there for you in a very concrete, tangible way. So really take those wounds of your heart to his heart. And I really encourage you to, to open those things up to him, to ask, ask him to show you the ways that you weren't chosen as he chooses you and you weren't known for who, for an individual as an individual who's very good, made in his image and likeness, and that you weren't valued or were devalued or where your value was attributed to something about what you could do for others and how he protects and provides for you and will for all eternity. I just really encourage you to take those wounds to him and just really receive your eternal bridegroom into the depths of your heart. And may God, who's infinitely able to satisfy our deepest longing, give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you for joining me for today's show. Please subscribe and share and check us out on wholenessandholiness.com. Follow and like us on social media. And to learn more about Sacred Heart Healing Ministries, please go to sacredhearthealingministries.com.